Well, today I want to share a little bit with you about one of the vampires in my life right now. Um, and she is a cute little sucker, I'll tell you that much. Um, her name is Marvel, and she's my two-year-old daughter. First of all, let me put up this picture that I recently posted of her. And let me and, and you tell me if I'm dealing with a vampire. Look at look at those, look at those fangs on her. Like, like she's got some fangs. But that's not the biggest issue that I currently have in my relationship with my daughter. You see, I'm a person that I, I like to wear blankets all the time. I like to have a blanket on me if I'm sitting around, if I'm watching TV, if I'm reading a book, if I'm sitting on the couch reclining, I like to be covered by a blanket. It can be in the dead middle of summer, 110 degree day, 100% humidity, and I like having a, a blanket covering my legs. And if that makes you think I'm weird, let me tell you what else I enjoy. I also enjoy a fan going on high all winter long with the windows open. I'm crazy. Anyway, so here's the problem with with Marvel and between Marvel and myself, Marvel hates blankets. Like hates, hates, hates blankets. Doesn't sleep with a blanket covering her. Will not tolerate having a blanket on her at any point of the day. If we try to snuggle and she loves to snuggle and I'm wearing a blanket, she will run away from me. You know, she'll move away from me because I'm wearing a blanket. And recently she started doing this. She won't tolerate anyone having a blanket on them in her presence. And a few weeks ago, she started pulling blankets off of any of us who enjoy cozying up in a blanket. So about a week ago, like this has been happening for a couple weeks. So about a week ago, I decided to try a different tactic rather than just trying to you know, pull it back. Because if I pull it back, she'll pull, she'll pull it down again and I, she'll pull it away and she'll pull it off the couch. So I started a different tactic to try to get her to leave my blanket alone. I went, I went for humor. I went for humor. So she went to pull my blanket off and I went high-pitched, funny dad voice, kind of like the knights who say knee in, uh, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like, no, it's my blanket. No, my blanket. Like, and, and so she started cracking up and I did it again and she pulled it off and she, and she, pull, and she pulled the, the blanket again. And I said, no, my blanket. And she pulled it off again. She started cracking up. She's cracking up, cracking up. We kept going back and forth on this for about five minutes. And she finally like started laughing so hard. She just collapsed into the couch. And I was like, yes, I won. And I pulled the blanket up and I pulled her up and I gave her a big old hug. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. And I said, oh, thank you. Like, thank you so much, Marvel, for leaving my blanket alone. You're such a cutie pie. And she looked at me and she started to roll out of my hug. And she goes, Thank you, because that's how she says thank you. She goes, thank you. And then she pulled that, she pulled my blanket off and ran away out of the room. And I was like, ah, I am dealing with a real vampire there. I don't know how I'm gonna deal with it. She took my blanket, she ran away with it. It's okay. I have heard that hurting people hurt people, and she's teething right now. So obviously she just needs to hurt someone, right? See, here's the thing: we're in week two of how to hug a vampire, learning to love the people that suck the life out of you. And here's what we're saying: we all live life surrounded by people who can suck the life right out of us and suck the life right out of our relationships. That's what we're doing, which makes us wonder if healthy relationships are actually possible. Like, can you have healthy relationships when you live life surrounded by people who suck the life out of you? But since the quality of our lives is only ever as good as the quality of our relationships, we have to work to get better at our relationships. And so we looked at an incredibly powerful verse last week from Romans chapter 12 that says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
And last week, we spent a pretty much our whole time talking about you and talking about your role in relationships, my role in relationships, because we all have a part to play in building stronger, healthier, more God-honoring, more peaceful relationships. And as we closed out, we made some decisions to help us fight back against the things that many of us naturally do that suck the life out of relationships. We made the decision that we're that we're going to fight uh, that we're going to fight inflation. We're going to refuse to blow up what was done or what was said. We're going we're gonna to fight hypocrisy. We're not going to judge other people by a standard that we won't live up to ourselves. And we're going to fight misunderstanding by choosing empathy, choosing to put ourselves in someone else's place to be able to see things from their perspective. That's how we're going to fight the, the, the things that we do that suck the life out of relationships ourselves. Now, here's the tricky thing with all that. The tricky thing with all of that is if you have bad blood with someone, choosing not to blow it up into something bigger keeps things from exploding or boiling over, but it doesn't mean that nothing happened. Choosing to not judge someone by a standard that you won't live up to doesn't mean that they have lived up to what's necessary for a healthy relationship. And choosing empathy helps you understand where they're coming from, but it doesn't actually solve the problem right? Because yeah, we need to look in the mirror and examine ourselves and look to see what part of the relationship depends on us. But we also know that in relationship, there's the reason that there's bad blood sometimes is them and sometimes is what they did. So today and next week, we're going to spend some time figuring out how to deal with them, how to deal with the people who suck the life out of you. Last week, we talked about how you sometimes suck the life out of other people, but for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how to deal with people that sometimes suck the life out of you, where what they did damaged the relationship, where what they've done, where the way that they act, or the way that they respond, or their habits affect and damage and sometimes suck the life right out of a relationship. That's what we're going to be doing, how to actually love well when someone's actions have sucked the life out of you and sucked the life out of relationship. Here's why we need to get better about loving these types of people, about, about, about dealing with some of the bad blood that sometimes we have with other people. Bad blood is costly and complicated. Bad blood is costly and complicated. Costly because it costs you peace. As we talked about last week, when you have bad blood, when you have difficulty in a relationship with anyone, it costs you peace. Obviously, it costs you peace in the relationship, but it also costs you peace about the relationship. That when someone you're in a relationship with hurts or offends or wrongs you, it will cost some peace internally. It will. Whether it's you hurting the relationship or them hurting the relationship, when you have a relationship that you care about and something goes wrong in it, no matter whose fault it is, it will cost you some peace internally. It's natural that it may cost you a night of sleep, but without the right tools to handle that and move forward, um, what should cost you a night of sleep costs you a week of sleep or a month of sleep or cost you to toss and turn for night after night after night after night thinking about what happened. It costs you peace. Bad blood is costly. It's costly and it's also complicated. It's also complicated and it complicates other relationships. When I say it's complicated, that's what I mean. It complicates other relationships. See, there's always someone who feels the weight of your bad blood. There's always someone else who feels the, the weight of your bad blood. When you have bad blood with someone, what happened between the two of you rarely stays between the two of you. What happened between the two of you rarely stays between the two of you. If it's a difficult relationship with a coworker, bad blood between two people in an office can infect and disrupt an entire 
office, if it's difficulty in a relationship between a husband and a wife, it affects the kids as well. If it's difficulty between friends, it impacts the way that other friends uh, see one another and treat people. And sometimes, let's be honest, it might even cause a little extracurricular bad blood as people choose sides. Like this happens. It's costly and it's complicated. Conflict between two people is costly and it's complicated. Bad blood between two people is costly and it's complicated. That's just plain true. That's just plain true. So what do you do with that? What do you do? What do you do when you're not inflating what they said, but what they said stung and it cut deep? What do you do when they said they'd be there and they completely flaked? What do you do when they promised they would never and then they did? Or what do you do when they promised they would always and then they didn't? What do you do? How do you respond when the way they talked about you behind your back caused people to change the way that they treated you? What do you do with all that bad blood? And today I have an answer. I have a starting point or a starting tool that we can that, that we can use in the face of the bad blood that so many of us have in our lives. Here's what you do when someone has wronged you, when someone has talked about you, when someone has said something to you, when someone behaved in a way that caused damage to you and to the relationship. Here's what you do. Here's the first tool we use when it comes to bad blood. See, forgiveness is the elixir that cures bad blood. In the face of all of that bad blood, in the face of what they did, you forgive because forgiveness is the elixir that cures bad blood. And if you're wondering if I chose elixir because we're in a series called How to Hug a Vampire, absolutely I did. I chose elixir entirely 100% only because we're in a series called How to Hug a Vampire. Forgiveness is the elixir that cures bad blood. Whatever happened between you and them, it will not be right until the step of genuine forgiveness has been taken. And I say genuine because we all know let's, we all know what it's like to surface forgive someone or to fake forgive someone or to half-heartedly forgive someone. We know what it is to go, sure, I forgive you, and then and flippantly move on. And the words have been spoken, but your internal world hasn't changed one bit. You have no more peace than you had before you said those words. The hurt hasn't been soothed. The rage hasn't been caused disappointment hasn't been addressed one single bit. You said the words, but nothing happened internally. You said the words, but no real forgiveness, no genuine forgiveness was given. And you could say it this way, fake forgiveness is a fake cure. Fake forgiveness is a fake cure. Surface forgiveness is a surface cure. The reason that you can't move forward, the reason the bad blood is still there, the reason the tension still exists, the reason the disappointment still exists, the reason the anger and the rage and the and all and the anxiety and all the stuff that comes with bad blood still exists is because what you did is a surface is a surface thing that has no power to cure anything beyond the surface. Fake forgiveness is a fake cure. The reason it doesn't work is because it's not real. The reason it doesn't propel you forward is because it has no power to help you down the road. It has no substance. Only genuine forgiveness has the power to move you forward and to cure the bad blood that you and I so often have in our lives and in our relationships. Now, 
Before we get to what forgiveness is and how it helps you move forward to, toward, toward healthier relationships, toward better relationships, toward being better at loving people and the relationships that sometimes suck the life out of you, let me first tell you what genuine forgiveness is not. And this is going to set some people free because some of you, the reason that you have not forgiven is because you have some misconceptions about what forgiveness is and what's required when it comes to forgiveness and what forgiveness sometimes will look like on the other side of forgiveness. First thing that forgiveness is not is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not letting them off the hook. So often we don't forgive because we think, well, if I forgive them, that's going to let them off the hook. Let me tell you what, weirdly, just trying to go about normal life, life as normal and, and not say anything and not do anything and, and, and you know, whatever, that's actually letting them off the hook. When, 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 we don't, when, when, we, when we don't forgive, when we don't say anything, when we just try to like, well, I'm just going to go about and then, you know, when they, when they ask for it, they, they'll get it, like, that's letting them off the hook what forgiveness does, forgiveness, weirdly, it lets them know that they have been on the hook the entire time and that the only way to move forward in relationship is through your forgiveness, that what they did hurt you so badly or caused such a rift in the relationship that the only way to move forward is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not letting them off the hook. Let me tell you the second thing that forgiveness doesn't do. Forgiveness doesn't mean we wait for an apology. See, some of you, the reason that you have not forgiven the person that hurt you, the person that abused you, the, per the person that caused a terrible rift in your relationship, the person that you used to be married to and you're no longer married to, the reason that you haven't forgiven them is because you're waiting for them to apologize. But forgiveness doesn't mean we wait for an apology. This is where we get so messed up. Your, your forgiveness does not hinge on their apology because your forgiveness isn't ultimately about them. It's about you moving forward. And so if you're stuck waiting for them to apologize, you may be stuck forever, unable to move forward because you're waiting for something that may never come and you're waiting for something that you do not need in order to forgive them. You can forgive before they ever apologize because forgiveness is not ultimately or only about them. It's about you and your ability to move forward in peace and in freedom from the hurt, from the pain, from the difficulty, from the tension, that you can move forward. So, so freedom doesn't mean you wait for an apology and it doesn't mean you forget everything they did. See, so often we think that forgiveness means that we forgive and forget. And here's the thing, it might, it might mean that. It might mean that. And there might be a, a point in life where you forget and you no longer remember what they did. But it, it might mean that, but it's also likely that you will forgive and remember. That you will forgive and remember because forgiving what they did doesn't mean that you welcome them back with open arms and without any boundaries and the relationship just gets to be whatever they want. Sometimes you forgive and you remember. You forgive and you establish a healthy boundary. You forgive and the relationship has peace, but it may not be what it was once was. It can be healthy, but it doesn't have to be the same as what caused the pain and what caused the difficulty before. Or it can be forgiveness and a relationship gets rebuilt over time, but we don't have to accept it, bring them back to exactly the same relationship that we had before. It doesn't mean that you forgive and forget everything that they did. So if, if, if that's not what genuine forgiveness is, if, if that's not what genuine forgiveness is, what does genuine forgiveness look like? Like 
Again, so many of us, we don't forgive because that's what we think forgiveness has to be. And the good news, if you have avoided forgiveness in some of the relationships that have become difficult over the course of your life, or because of a momentary thing that happened, or because of something that built up over the course of a few months or a few years, if you've avoided forgiveness for those things because that's what you thought forgiveness was, the good news today is that we're going to learn about for what actual, genuine forgiveness really looks like. And today we're going to go back to that same passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. In the verses that followed, Paul began to walk us through how we have peace in relationships with people who sometimes suck the life out of us, how we have peace even in the most difficult of relationships. And he talked about how we learn to forgive and let go of what we think that we are owed. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, he says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Now here's the thing, you may not think forgiveness is the cure, but you know revenge isn't. Like, you know that revenge never has accomplished anything good in a relationship. You know seeking revenge, taking revenge, getting revenge is never the answer. And yet that's our natural response when someone hurts us, right? Or revenge, revenge. You see, that's like, well, I don't take revenge because I would never say those things out loud or I'd never actually act on them. But here's the thing. Revenge is not just external retaliation. It's the internal hope for their misfortune or celebration of their misfortune. And I just want to tell you today, as long as long as you are hoping or celebrating their misfortune, you are not free to move forward. You're tied to the events of the past, filled with hurt and pain, and that is nowhere to live. So Paul says, do not take revenge. Do not hope for revenge. Do not hope for their misfortune. That when someone hurts you, you don't have to hope for their misfortune. When someone hurts you, you don't have to get them back or wish that someone else would get them back. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. And then he went on to say this in the second part of verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. See, wrath is a scary word, isn't it? Wrath is wrath can be a really scary word. Most of us think of wrath the way we thought of when we did something wrong at school and we knew that our parents would know about it by the time that we got home. That we were that they that they would just be there waiting to dish out some wrath. Some wrath. Wrath, let me tell you this. Wrath is the natural consequence of sin. And anytime we harm someone else or someone harms us, that is sin. Anytime we know better in relationship and don't choose better in relationship, that's sin. Anytime we know what God would have us to do, or anytime someone else knows what God would have done towards us and we choose something different, that is sin. And God has a natural consequence for our sin or for the sin of other people. And God cares about what happens to you. And God cares about what you do in relationship. And so the natural consequence built into sin is God's wrath, is that God has a wrath, that God, because God cares, God deals with sin. And he finishes off verse 19, he says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. See, here's the thing, here's the biggest reason to forgive. Here's the biggest reason to forgive. Unforgiveness shuts God out, but forgiveness invites God in. Unforgiveness, it shuts God out of the relationship. It shuts God out of the hurt. It shuts God out of the pain. It shuts God out of the bitterness. It shuts God out of every bit of of the thing that you're going through and the difficulty of that relationship. Unforgiveness shuts God out, but forgiveness invites God's activity 
in the relationship and on your behalf. See, unforgiveness, it boxes God out and it keeps God's activity away from our relationships and from the very relationships that we know need healing. Unforgiveness is ultimately a failure on, failure on our part to believe what God says when he says that he will repay and he will avenge. That repaying what they did is not our part. That avenging what they did is ultimately not our part. That judging what they did, judging what they said, that condemning what they did, condemning what they said, that that is not ultimately our part to play. That God gets to decide if something needs to be avenged, that God gets to decide if something needs to be judged, that God gets to decide if some, someone is deserving of wrath. And so for many of us, the first step that we need to take toward forgiveness is to actually say, God, I believe what you said about what they did. I believe you're attentive and I believe you're paying attention. And if there's something that needs to be paid back, you and your wisdom knows better than me and my wisdom. So God, I will trust you and I don't need to pay back. I don't need to get vengeance. I don't need to hope for vengeance. I don't need to hope for their failure. I don't need to hope for their misfortune. I will leave that in your hands. And God, so I, I like, I'm not going to live in unforgiveness. I don't want to box you out of this relationship. I don't want to box you out of my hurt and pain. God, I invite you in. And when I, and the only way to invite you in, if that, if the only way to invite you in is through forgiveness, then I will extend forgiveness to them. God, it is yours to figure out how they pay for what they did. God, I trust you in this relationship. Unforgiveness, it shuts God out. Forgiveness invites God in. And then Paul went on to write this in verse 20. He said, on the contrary, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Can I, can I, can I tell you and be really honest about what I thought that all that meant when I was growing up? When I would hear this verse growing up, I, I really was genuinely believing that this verse meant that if I'm nice when someone's mean, God is going to actually take burning coals somehow, put it on their forehead, put it on top of their head. And for the rest of their lives, they're either going to walk around with burn marks on their forehead or walk around not able to grow hair on the top of their head because somehow they got burned, that my blessing would turn into a curse. And so the reason to be nice to them is so that something bad would ultimately happen to them. And if we're doing that, let me just tell you, first of all, that means we're still hoping for their misfortune, which means we have not actually genuinely forgiven. As long as we're hoping for their misfortune, we have not moved forward and we have not forgiven. That's not what this is ultimately about. That's not what Paul is ultimately saying. He's, he's ultimately talking about this ancient, ancient Jewish tradition where someone in repentance would put warm coals on their head and walk around. The, the coals was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of repentance. So what Paul is referencing here, he's saying when you are a blessing, when you are kind to your enemy, you lead them toward repentance. You lead them toward growth and change. You lead them towards something that turns away from what they have been and leads them in a new direction. And when you think about it, this is actually the thing that draws us back to God despite our broken relationship with him. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 2, earlier, earlier in the book of Romans in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul wrote, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Well, yeah, I forgot I needed all that grace and tolerance and patience. I forgot I needed all that. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness 
is intended to turn you, to turn you from sin. Other translations see, can't you see that his kindness is meant to lead you toward repentance? His kindness leads us towards repentance. And here's the thing. If it's true that you are led back by kindness towards God, wouldn't it be true that someone else would be led the same way? I mean, like, like Jesus on the cross is actually the greatest example of this. He just says, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Literally, in the middle of receiving humanity's worst, Jesus cried out for them to receive God's best, for God to forgive them while they were giving him their very worst, for the very people who were killing him to be forgiven through the work that he was accomplishing on the cross. We are drawn by his kindness, his grace, his mercy, ultimately displayed through Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins so that we would never have to experience the wrath and the anger of God. And we're drawn towards his kindness and, and forgiveness and his mercy. And when we receive that kindness and mercy, we are changed by it. We're changed by it. We cannot leave the same. And Paul says, that love and that grace that you receive from God when you were his enemy, you show it to your enemies. When you have bad blood with someone, when someone has caused bad blood with you, you find a way to forgive. You find a way to move forward. You find a way where you don't have to any longer hope for their misery, hope for their misfortune, hope for their failure, or celebrate their failure when it happens. You don't have to look forward to a time where they will, where, where they will receive what they deserve. You can forgive. And your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy may just be the thing that leads them to repentance. So what do we do with the bad blood? What do we do with the bad blood that we so often have with other people? Here's two steps that I think Paul would encourage us to take. Number one is you accept the apology that you were never that you never received. You accept the apology that you never received. Again, th this is why we, we don't wait for the apology. We just simply accept one whether we get it or not. That even if we have never received an apology, we can still act as if we have received one. You treat them as if they have already apologized. You treat them with kindness. You treat them with grace. You treat them with humility. You act towards them in peace. You treat them as if you they already have apologized. And then if someday they do, great. But you don't have to wait for one. You can treat them as if they already have apologized. And then the second thing that I think Paul would encourage us to do is simply to give them the blessing that they never received. See, let me just tell you something that you might need to know about the people that have hurt you. The reason that they hurt you may have nothing to do with you. It may be that there's something that's missing in their life, that they never received something from their father or from their mother or from a spouse or from, from, from life or, from, or, or that they feel like they've been owed something by God and they've never received what they think they need. And because they never received it, they turn and hurt other people. And it may just be that when you give them the blessing that they never received, when you treat them with kindness in the face of their evil, when you treat them with kindness in the way that in the face of what they how they treated you, it may just be the thing that when you give them the blessing that they never received from someone else, when you show them grace that they've never received in another relationship, that when you give them that blessing, they may be led toward repentance. And then Paul closes up this thought. In verse 21, he said this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
overcome evil with good. This is very literally being the bigger and better person, actively choosing to be the bigger and better person. That what you did hurt, sure, what you did hurt, but I don't have to see you hurt for me to move forward. I choose something better for me and hopefully a blessing for you. And here's the thing about that. You can't do any good to them or any good for them while you're still demanding vengeance on them. That's why we have to choose to forgive. You can't do any good for them while still demanding that they have to pay for what they have done. You can only overcome evil with good when your demand for payment stops, when your demand for justice stops, when you can choose grace over justice. That's when you can move forward. That's when you can have peace about the relationship. And sometimes that's when you can have peace in the relationship. See, today the bottom line is simply this, that peace begins when your demand for justice ends. Peace begins when your demand for justice ends, when you no longer have to pay have to be paid back for what they did, when, no, when you no longer have to pay them back for what happened, like when you no longer have to see them suffer for what they did, you can move forward. And you can only do that through the power of forgiveness. You can only do that when you have chosen to forgive. And this is not something that we can passively do. You will not actively receive what you passively pursue. You have to actively pursue forgiveness. You have to actively extend forgiveness. If you want to move forward and if you want the relationship to move forward, if you want to do something about the bad blood in the relationship, you have to choose forgiveness. You have to choose that justice does not have to be fulfilled, that grace can take its place instead. And I'm and they don't deserve it and what they did hurt and what they did cause some damage, but I don't need to see them fail and I don't need to see justice. I will choose grace. I will choose forgiveness. I will choose, like my heavenly father chose for me, I will choose to show and extend grace and mercy and a blessing and kindness. And maybe, just maybe, it might lead them to repentance. But whether it does lead them to repentance or not, it will lead me to peace. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie or read the book Unbroken, um, but the story of Louis Zamperini is an incredible, incredible story and an incredible true story of forgiveness. Just to give a little bit of the story, Louis was a famous American long-distance runner in the 1920s and 1930s who joined the U.S. military during World War II. Um, during the course of the war, he, his, I believe his plane was shot down and he was stranded in the Pacific Ocean. And, and as it happened, he was captured and imprisoned by the Japanese in the middle of World War II. He was brutally tortured for over two years at the hands of a man who led the prison camp named Mats Matsuhiro Watanabe. Matsuhiro Watanabe. He was nicknamed the bird. And this man, and this man absolutely tortured Louis Zamperini. He recognized him as a world-famous runner, as a world-famous American, and because of his fame, he decided to make an example out of Louis Zamperini. And if you have not read the book, to hear the stories of torture and humiliation that were dished out, like I have never been so mad at anyone as I was reading what happened to Louis Zamperini. After being in the prison war camp for two years, um, he, was, he was liberated and he returned home a shattered version of his former self, shattered version of his former self. The experience that he had in the camp filled him with anger, 
hatred, rage, anxiety, and depression that would nearly ruin his marriage, that led him to intense alcoholism, and made his life a living hell for the next few years. Until one night in 1949, his wife invited him to go with her to hear a young preacher doing a revival service in the middle of Los Angeles named Billy Graham. They went one night, and he agreed. He didn't enjoy it, he said, but he agreed to go along for a second night later in the week. And on that second night, Louis Zamperini, at the end of the service, when he told his wife that, you know, when he says, let's pray, we're leaving. When, the, when Billy Graham said, let's pray, Louis Zamperini marched himself down the aisle and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and accepted the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of God established through Jesus on the cross. He accepted Christ as his Savior. And the kindness of God, it led him to repentance. And he turned from his alcoholism. And he turned from anger and hatred and rage and anxiety and depression. And he began to walk out his new faith in Christ. One of the interesting things that happened, and this is why I think the story is so amazing. In 1952, he went back to Japan to a prison where many of the guards that had beaten him were now prisoners of, as war criminals. He met one by one with them to look them in the eyes and tell them, I want to let you know that Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sins. And because he has forgiven me of my sins, I want to forgive you for what you did to me. Can you even imagine? One of the people that was not present as a prisoner of war was Matsuhiro Watanabe. He was not there. He was, he was never found after the war. The Japanese government believed that he had committed suicide and that he was never, never, never going to be found. Well, in 1997, a producer for 60 Minutes located Matsuhiro, Matsuhiro Watanabe. And he contacted Louis Zamperini to see if he would like to write a letter to Watanabe. And Louis did. That same heart that had happened and, and peace that had been found and was, was there in 1952 was still present in 1997. This wasn't a momentary act of forgiveness. In 1997, Louis wrote, wrote this letter to, to Mr. Matsuhiro Watanabe. He said this, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But, but... But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you had probably committed Harriet Carey, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you also would become a Christian. Signed, Louis Zamperini. 
love replaced the hate that I had for you. Again, notice, he, he announces everything that happened. He's not letting him off the hook. He's saying, while you've lived on the hook, I'm going to extend forgiveness anyway, because Christ forgave me, because God, through Christ, forgave me. And Christ told me that if I'm going to follow him, I forgive my enemies. So here's, what, here's the powerful truth that Louis Zamperini had lived for the rest of his days until he passed away in 2014, that forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. If that, that if you're a Jesus follower, you forgive. That if you're a Jesus follower, and I'm a Jesus follower, we forgive. That if you're a Jesus follower who has experienced the grace of God poured out over your sins, who's been forgiven every wrong against your heavenly Father, who had committed so many wrongs that a Savior had to be nailed to a cross for you, you can forgive what they did that wronged if, if that's what someone did to forgive you, if that's the length that someone had to go to forgive you, you can choose to follow his example and forgive those that have hurt and wronged you. That those of us who have received such grace and such mercy from God cannot hold back forgiveness from others. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people accept the apology that they never received. Forgiven people choose to give a blessing to the other person that they don't deserve. Forgiven people stop demanding justice and instead choose to show grace. Forgiven people decide to put an end to the bad blood and seek peace and find freedom in the process. Today, the good news is you can be one of those people. You can be one of those people. Today, some of you, you need to make a decision to, to accept the forgiveness that God has for you through Jesus. You can be forgiven by your heavenly Father when you trust in what Jesus did on the cross when he died for your sins and when he rose from the dead to establish a new life and a new relationship with God for you. You can accept the forgiveness of your heavenly Father. And today, many of us, we need to choose to forgive the person that wronged us, to forgive the people that wronged us, to forgive the actions that were taken against us, to forgive the words that were said about us. We need to choose to stop boxing God out, to stop, to stop pushing God out, but instead to invite God in through forgiveness. See, that's, that's how we stop people from sucking the life out of us. And that's how we breathe new life back into our relationships. Forgiveness is the elixir for bad blood. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. God, I simply pray today that for, for all of us, who we, we know we have bad blood with someone, and we know there's someone who's hurt us, there's someone who wronged us, there's someone who said something about us that wasn't true, or it was true, but we didn't want it to be known. God, that whatever the situation is, God, whatever the bad blood is, God, help us to be willing to face it and move forward from it through forgiveness. God, help us to follow the example that you set for us, where, where what it took to establish forgiveness was your son going to the cross for us. God, that that would happen. Thank you so much for that type of forgiveness that you established for us, that we can have peace with you because of what you did for us, not because we earned our way back, not because we apologized, but because of what you did for us. So God, today I simply pray that we would have the courage to follow in your footsteps. God, give us wisdom to know what, and what needs to happen and what, need, what we need to do and what's required of us 
in order to forgive and what forgiveness looks like on the, what the relationship might look like on the other side of forgiveness. But God, help us not to wait until we have it all figured out in order to forgive. Help us to simply follow your example and forgive. God, help forgiveness to be the elixir for the bad blood in our lives. Help it to be the thing that moves us forward. Help it to be the thing that helps us find peace and establish freedom in our lives and help it to lead people towards repentance and towards change and toward growth. God, as your kindness leads us towards repentance, God, may it lead other people closer to you as well. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.